in 2011, more Americans died from poverty than from cancer or heart disease. Uniquely American, isn't it? Welcome to Things Just Got Spicy, the all-inclusive political poetry podcast on Allegheny College's campus in Meville, Pennsylvania. Every other week, we will discuss current and ongoing political, social, and economic issues. Each hot topic will be followed by a poem written and performed by the week's special guest. My name is Bintu Fofana, and I'm your host. This week's hot topic is poverty in the American dream. The American dream, otherwise known as the staple of America, is the belief that everyone should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work, determination, and initiative. In 1931, the concept was popularized by James Truslow Adams. Since then, the concept has been redefined by successive generations and continues to differ from person to person. For example, person X's American dream may be receiving a college education and owning a successful business, while person Y's American dream may be buying a house and working at a well-paying job. In theory, every American citizen and immigrant, regardless of race or gender, should be able to achieve the American dream. But this does not account for social barriers or issues that may delay or prevent certain people from achieving the American dream. Such social barriers include poverty. So what exactly is American poverty, and what does it mean to be poor in the U.S.? American poverty entails the lack of economic resources necessary to experience a minimum living standard. The official U.S. Census Bureau statistics estimates that 37 million persons, 11.4% of the total population in the United States, were poor in 2020. As a result, the U.S. is poorer than most European nations. According to the Pew Research Center, nearly two-thirds of U.S. adults say The main reason some people are rich is because they have more advantages in life compared to most. Far few say it is because they have worked harder than others, which may turn out to be true. The United States has higher inequality and a less generous social safety net compared to most affluent countries in Europe. There isn't always an equal share of opportunity in the United States, but the American dream is supposed to be achieved under the notion that there is an equal share of opportunity. For this reason, many are questioning if the American dream still exists. Our special guest to discuss this hot topic with us is a fellow for the Center of Political Participation at Allegheny College. This fellow assisted Jamie Kinder and Gretchen Myers in the Meadville City Council election this past November. Please give a warm welcome to Aubrey Hall. Hi, thanks for having me. Been too. I'm excited. We're excited to have you on the show. Aubrey, when you wrote your poem, The Only Thing George W. Bush Ever Got Right, how did you approach it and what was your thought process? So uh, I, did, I did a little bit of slam poetry team in high school. When you asked me to come on here, I thought of and told me that the theme was about poverty and the, the American dream. I thought of um, Dylan Garrity's poem, Rigged Game, which I really used to like. He talks about his sister's experience teaching and like how the No Child Left Behind program gutted bilingual education. And so that made me think of George Bush because bilingual, No Child Left Behind is a George Bush era program. So I just kind of did a deep dive on YouTube of George Bush saying a bunch of nonsense about um, being American. 
and I stumbled across this uh, soundbite where he's at a campaign rally and this woman is like expressing her fears to him about the future of social security and she tells him that she is working three jobs and he's just papers over this like gross power difference between them by talking about how American they both are. Um, and I, I was just like, geez, this really kind of epitomizes so many things that are wrong with our economy. This poem is called The Only Thing George W. Bush Ever Got Right. Uniquely American, isn't it? George Bush says to the woman on stage, placing his hand on her shoulder like she's just done him a favor. The audience applauds. We're in Nebraska in February of 2005, and this woman has just said into the microphone that she works three jobs. That is fantastic that you're doing that, he says. And the audience applauds. And we're in Holmes County, Mississippi in January of 2018, where David Howard works as a farmer, a bus driver, a custodian, trying to pay off $200,000 worth of predatory loans that he took out just to keep his lights on and the audience applauds and we're in the Bronx. In January of this year, where 19 people, many of them immigrants, several of them children, are killed in a fire started by a space heater. Uniquely American, isn't it? To do so much working and breathing and living and working and dying, just trying to stay warm, to blame the space heater and not the landlord who kept the building cold, to get so accustomed to the smell of smoke. In 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson declared the war on poverty one that we could not afford to lose. In 2011, more Americans died from poverty than from cancer or heart disease. Uniquely American, isn't it? To start a war you have no intention of finishing, to pay no mind to the carnage, and back in Nebraska, the audience is still applauding, and a cheerful George Bush asks, you get any sleep? She smiles and says, not much. I think this is a beautifully written poem, and I'm sure our listeners could agree. But I'm curious to know, why did you emphasize the reputation of uniquely American, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, for, mo for me, what comes to mind when I think about what we call the American dream um, is all the things that we're supposed to be entitled to. So, you know, like the house, the family, the picket fence, the car, a vacation here and there, all the kind of like imagery that's attached to that. But the other thing that's attached to that is this huge if. Right. So like if you work extremely hard or like in the case of immigrants, conservatives especially might say if you come here the right way, like legally um, and so on and so forth. And we really romanticize the if it's like this powerful story that somehow work ethic is supposed to lead you to this promised land. And I don't think that romanticizing the work ethic part is uniquely American, but I think tying that work ethic to such a strong status quo story and such a strong sense of pride, um, and to think of it as an indicator that we live in some kind of classless society where everyone has access to the same opportunities. It's just a matter of how hard you work. That part, to me, is uniquely American. Um, and I think that's especially true if you look at countries like Norway or Denmark, where social mo mobility is actually way higher than it is here. It is interesting that you say that. I believe if you work hard enough, you can achieve your goals. But 
I think what people fail to realize is that there are social economic reasons and social economic statuses that may affect people from achieving the American dream within a certain time period or slow them down. I think those who have privilege and who have money are ahead of people who don't. Yeah, I I think that's definitely true. Yeah, and I, I think, again, yeah, to me, kind of the uniqueness is that, like, part of the American dream is thinking of it like, like those barriers aren't there. Like, we don't want to look at them or acknowledge them. And that's part of the story is that, like, because you your success can be based on all this hard work, then we don't have to think about you know, all the barriers that are standing in people's way and that are put there pretty intentionally. Could you explain the details of the war on poverty and how it correlates to the American dream? So uh, the war on poverty was the name that Lyndon B. Johnson gave to a bunch of social safety net programs that kind of like on top of the New Deal gave us the modern American welfare state. So in his first State of the Union address, um, Lyndon B. Johnson said that he was intent on ending poverty in the United States. And that goal kind of materialized in a bunch of different policies that people who are listening to this might recognize. So like the AmeriCorps VISTA program came out of the quote unquote war on poverty. Um, SNAP benefits came out of the war on poverty. And this was also around the time that the federal poverty guideline was created, which is just a minimum food budget multiplied by three and that other two-thirds is supposed to account for all of your other life expenses as a family aside from food. The legislation that came out of the war on poverty, it's definitely not the worst thing that's come out of the United States legislature by a long shot, but um, there are some pretty serious problems that have kind of become endemic to how we think about poverty in the United States. In your opinion, does the American dream still exist? If so, is the American dream attainable for everyone? I mean. I think if you think about the American dream as being, like, if you think about the if, you know, like, if you work really hard, you should be able to achieve some kind of social or economic mobility. I don't know that it really does. I think, like, it's possible to achieve some kind of social or economic mobility, but a systemic level, you know, the common metaphor that gets used is social and economic mobility is a ladder. And when the top 1% gets wealthier, the rungs of the ladder get further apart. So it's harder to go from one level of social social standing that you inherit from your parents to go to the next one. And we've seen like even through COVID, the wealthier parts of the country getting wealthier and wealthier, making more and more money. Um, So I think that as economic inequality widens so much, the American dream gets more and more unattainable. But I, I don't think I don't think that makes the reality of that situation any more clear. I think the story of the American dream kind of remains potent and powerful. And yeah, I that part is kind of hard to reckon with, at least for me. When I think of the American dream, I think of American exceptionalism. It makes me think of why people immigrate to the U.S. It's because of the American dream and because America is portrayed as the greatest country in the world. Now, if you believe that America is the greatest country in the world, by all means, you are entitled to your opinion. But in my opinion, I don't think any country deserves that title just because of history and how the world operates. I think the American dream still exists 
and that everyone has their own version of the American dream. My American dream could be having a great home and having a great job. But your American dream could be getting an education. Everyone's American dream is different. I think the American dream is attainable for everyone, but because of the way our society and economy works, it may take some people longer than others. Some may give up and some may keep pushing through. I believe it is about your determination and drive. Are you willing to put in the work? Nothing is easy in life. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think, like, for me, I think the distinction, like, to me, part of the distinction is thinking about just kind of, like, base necessities that people have. And that's kind of, like, my concern with it is not necessarily whether people are able to reach a level where they're able to make ends meet if they work hard or, like, achieve some kind of fulfillment in that sense of a dream. For me, like part of my concern with the notion of the American dream is that I think a lot of times people's base needs aren't being met. So I think it becomes harder to kind of pursue those things when we're not meeting people's basic needs. But I think like in more of like a like an aspirational sense, like you're talking about, I think that's definitely true. In your opinion, how can we make basic necessities available for everyone? How can we give everyone what they need to survive so their next step is, how do I thrive? I think one thing is uh, when we're talking about, like I mentioned, the war on poverty. Part of the funny thing about the war on poverty and using that terminology is that it kind of suggested that poverty is just kind of this evil that we need to fight. You know, like it's just out there in society rather than being something that's engineered and built into our system by design. Um, So I think one thing is to reframe our thinking about poverty and our thinking about why people are in those situations in the first place. So when we're thinking about reframing our thinking, um, especially with the notion of war, like how many actual wars have we fought since the quote-unquote war on poverty was declared where all of that money could have been allocated toward something like more comprehensive welfare SNAP benefits that actually helps people here rather than intervening in foreign places where a lot of the times we're only thinking about ourselves which is another matter but I think another thing too is like we're talking about like if you think about the American dream as not just our individual visions of what the future could look like, but also this collective thing that we could all potentially work toward and share in. Right now, if we're all putting in 40 hours a week, we're not necessarily the ones who are reaping the bulk of the benefit of that labor. So, you know, Jeff Bezos is living just about the best American dream that a person could live in terms of having the bulk share of other people's labor. So I think part of it too is more comprehensive income taxing um, that could go towards social welfare programming so that there aren't these people sitting up top in the upper echelons of society that are reaping the rewards of the work that everyone else is putting in. When it comes to taxes, having SNAP benefits, or whatever the case may be for people who are below the poverty line or just below the poverty line, the problem many people have with this is that they feel as though people who are getting SNAP benefits aren't working. I think even if you have SNAP benefits, you should still have a job. 
you should still work because you can't always rely on the government or other people to help you with your entire livelihood. Now, it's great that they have SNAP benefits for food. It's one less thing that they have to worry about. But I think they should note that it's not fair for the people who are working towards their American dream, who are working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and half of their paycheck or a large amount is going towards people who aren't working at all. And this does not include people who aren't working because they're on disability or because of physical and mental health reasons. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't help those in need or that we should get rid of those benefits because we should help those in need and we shouldn't get rid of those benefits. I'm saying that people who receive those benefits should work to thrive. This will not only help them, but it would be fair to those who are working for them to have those benefits in the first place. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, that brings to mind a couple things. One is, I think you're right. And I think a lot of working people probably wouldn't need SNAP benefits if our minimum wage hadn't stagnated for so many years. So that's a big one, you know, is that like people who are working are also relying on those those welfare programs. And that's partly because we really just haven't raised the minimum wage. It's ridiculously low and it doesn't match the cost of living. And yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think like the other, I've heard this expression, um, I don't mind paying my taxes when the poor can't. I mind paying my taxes when the wealthy won't. And I think that's like part of the problem too, right? Is that like a lot of the money that's going toward different social programming is not coming out of the pockets of the people who are most able to afford it. It is coming out of the pockets of working people and taxing scheme that was kind of issued in by Donald Trump really shows that like after 2024, um, I think it's, I can't remember, it's the wealthiest 10% of Americans are going to be paying effectively less in taxes proportionate to their income than pretty much the rest of working people. So yeah, that's a big part of it too, is there's a huge amount of inequity in terms of who's actually paying into those programs. Right. And the minimum wage is something we talked about for the first episode of season one. In Pennsylvania, the minimum wage has been $7.25 for years. And I think those in office and those in Congress may not realize how hard it is to live off of $7.25 an hour. The minimum wage is now supposed to be $15 an hour. And it's insane to think that that's still not enough to live off of. I've done tons of research on the minimum wage and talked to many people about their view on the minimum wage. And something I've heard a lot is that jobs that are paying $7.25 an hour or $15 an hour aren't jobs people are meant to live off of. For example, someone once told me that a job at McDonald's paying $15 an hour is not something that someone is supposed to live off of. And if people keep complaining that the minimum wage is too low, restaurants such as McDonald's will replace them by installing machines and robots. They brought up the example of how right now in McDonald's, there are machines where you can order your food and you don't even have to speak to a cashier. I hear those concerns, but I back home in Colorado, I make more than $7.25, but that's just because our minimum wage is a little bit higher. Um, I make like $9.50 an hour um, at the restaurant I work at. And a lot of the, the work that my coworkers are doing requires maturity. Even something like dealing with customers, I think, and like handling like these multitasking situations, the common rhetoric too is that that's like a job for teenagers. But yeah, like a lot of the people that I work with are 
adults and parents. And uh, yeah, it's 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 just kind of funny, like, okay, well, people aren't meant to live off of these jobs, but you want your McDonald's, don't you? You want the experience of being able to get those things. So those people should be compensated for their labor. And it's just, it's just so interesting. Like, I think, again, the, the American dream kind of like meritocracy notion of, well, you should be working this hard to be able to deserve something, to be able to deserve to support yourself. Um, And then we have particular conceptions about what exactly is deserving about certain lines of work. If we need people to be working 40 hours a week to do something because there's a demand for it, I just, yeah, I struggle to see how we don't need to compensate those people adequately. Statistics show that even though people of color may experience higher rates of poverty and immobility, they are more likely to believe in the American dream compared to white people. What does this phenomenon tell us about the American dream? I mean, really, I can only speculate. Um, But it kind of speaks to the power of the American dream as, you know, like it's, it's kind of like this intergenerational legend. So I think that speaks to the power of the ideology that we live in with respect to the American dream. Yeah, I I was kind of curious to hear your perspective on this too. And when you sent me this question, I I thought about it for a long time. Um, I think in part, another thing that comes to mind when I think about the American dream is how success is so like we tend to attribute it to individual responsibility and the weight of that. But yeah, again, like I I really, I think part of the reason I struggle with this question is that like I can't speak to necessarily the experience of being like a person of color or an immigrant, obviously. Um, So yeah, but I, I do think it speaks to not only the power of the American dream, but also the way that we work to reinforce the power of the American dream in particular communities, um, especially that like don't have access to other resources or might not have access to other resources. I agree. I do think that the American dream is powerful and it gives people something to hold on to. It gives them hope and a reason to keep going, even if it's not something they may be able to achieve in their lifetime. Maybe they feel as though that it is something that their children may be able to achieve in their lifetime. It reminds me why people immigrate to the U.S. because of the American dream. I recall when my uncle came to the U.S. a few years ago, he was shocked to see how American people live and to see how America functions. The stories you hear about America abroad isn't always the reality. The American dream is American. As you said in your poem, it's uniquely American. It's something that I have not seen in any other country besides America. And I think that the foundation of America, excluding all of the negative things, was supposed to encourage people to come to this country to live the life that they want. There are infinite opportunities, and yes, you should take them if you have access to them. And I think that's what keeps a lot of us going, because we want to live the best possible life for ourselves. Yeah, the notion of kind of hope makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, again, even talking to, you know, like, again, don't come from an immigrant household, but just in terms of talking to my parents who did everything quote unquote right in terms of 
hard work or, you know, like being able to achieve certain things. Um, they're both in their 60s now. They both got a bachelor's degree. And now it's just kind of like we struggle to figure out how we're going to pay for all the medical bills. Like we struggle to figure out all these different things. But still, they kind of hold on to this notion that a better world is possible because we're here and not somewhere else, which I think is is interesting. And I, I don't I don't know that that's necessarily how I feel, but it's powerful. And yeah, it's a source of hope, I think. That is interesting. It makes me think maybe the American dream is only alive in older generations. And our generation, Gen Z, I don't think a lot of us still believe in the American dream. Maybe the reason for that is because we're not coming into the world the same way our parents or grandparents did. We see the flaws, and it makes us question the American dream. It makes us question why are people still holding on to something that is not attainable for them, or something that could be completely false overall. Yeah, it's like, it's it's almost like a, a difference in, like, vocabulary or something sometimes, I feel. And yeah, I mean, like... We, you know, went to high school post-Columbine and, like, witnessed, you know, global climate climate strikes and, like, all these different things that really highlighted those flaws pretty, pretty blatantly. I don't know. Because there, like, there have been other, like, movements prior to this, you know, that, um, like, my parents would have borne witness to. It's a crazy, it's a crazy world that we've kind of come into adulthood and I think too like with the advent of social media and being able to have more of a global perspective about like politics and stuff like that whoa can someone turn on the air conditioner because things just got spicy that's all for this week's episode I hope we've encouraged you to think deeper and to look at other perspectives Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at TJGSpicy. And if you would like to be a special guest on an upcoming episode, please feel free to email us at TJGSpicy at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Stay curious and see you in two weeks.